All right, I want you to open your Bibles with me now to the book of Exodus. The book of Exodus, if you will. And uh, I want you to turn to the 15th chapter of Exodus. And we'll read beginning at verse number 22. Exodus chapter 15 and verse number 22. Here is an unusual happening in the life of the people of Israel. And yet, just as the things that happened to them, the Scripture says, were in samples to us, that is, uh, illustrations, examples, that we would profit by what they experience, so likewise this particular incident is a great example to us and will teach us a lot of truth about living. In Exodus 15, now verse 22, here's what the Bible says. Watch this carefully. So Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea, and they went out into the wilderness of Shur. And they went three days in the wilderness and found no water. And when they came to Marah, they could not drink of the waters of Marah, for they were bitter. Therefore the name of it was called Marah. That is a Hebrew name meaning bitter or bitterness. And the people murmured against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? And he cried unto the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree, which when he had cast into the waters, the waters were made sweet. There he made for them a statute and an ordinance. And there he proved them, or he put them to the test, and said, If thou wilt diligently hearken to the voice of the Lord thy God, and wilt do that which is right in his sight, and wilt give ear to his commandments, and keep all his statutes, I will put none of these diseases upon thee, which I have brought upon the Egyptians, for I am the Lord that healeth thee. And they came to Elam, where were twelve wells of water, and threescore, or seventy, uh, threescore and ten, seventy palm trees, and they encamped there by the waters. It is a great encouragement when you discover in your life as a Christian that God is directing the pathway of your life. The Word of God says it like this by the words of the psalmist in Psalm 37 and verse 23. And the psalmist said, The steps of a good man are ordered of or by the Lord, and he delighteth in his ways. Now, let me ask you this. Do you really believe that? Do you really believe that a life of a Christian your life committed to the Lord that God orders the steps of your life. Do we believe that? I believe that down in our heart of hearts, we would say definitely, I believe that. I believe it first of all because the Bible said it, and I believe it secondly because I've experienced that in my own life. I am not able always to explain every step that the Lord has directed in my life. At that moment, I'm taking the step, but yet as I move forward in my life as a child of God, 
there are those times uh, that the Lord lets me in uh, on some of the steps that I have taken uh, in my life as uh, His child. So it is, it is encouraging and it is comforting to know that if one has committed his life to the Lord, that God indeed is directing the steps of his life and ordering the pathway of his life. Now that was true of the children of Israel. The Bible reveals that it was God who led them all the way through even the danger and the trials of the wilderness journeyings. God was the one who directed them. And now again, at this point of verse number 22, you'll discover God leading the children of Israel. Now you remember just prior to this verse, verse 22, you'll discover in the reading of the Scripture that the Lord had now led Israel to the Red Sea. They had experienced that marvelous, miraculous thing of God parting the waters, and Israel went through dry-shod onto the other side. Now that must have been a hair-raising experience. I'll tell you, if they were as excited as I am, I guarantee you half Israel is walking on cloud nine and shouting it out. Oh, they were thrilled at what had happened. All of their enemies from Egypt were drowned in that water as they tried to come across and the Lord turned those waters loose that had been standing up and letting Israel pass through. And so there was much for them to rejoice about. Uh, Moses' sister Miriam composed a song upon this joyous occasion. It was a time of real joy and real excitement. And uh, I'm Imagine if we had been a roving reporter and gone up to some of those folks after that had happened and said to them, I want to ask you a question. You here in Israel, sir, may I ask you this question? Has God really led you in this way? And is God really with you? Oh, listen, I imagine he would have said, man, what are you talking about? Sure, God is with us. And sure, God has led us. Oh, how evident is His hand and His presence right here in our midst. And say, wouldn't it be easy for us to, if someone were to say to us, after we've experienced a great victory, and maybe the Lord supplied some money that we were needing, we were able to pay off the debts, and maybe some member of the family had been sick, and we had been praying for them, we called down and had Pastor Robson to ask the folks to pray, and they prayed, and that that loved one was raised up out of their sickness, and they're out on their feet again, and out doing their regular business. Oh, listen, if we were to say to you, then is God with you? Is God leading you in your life? Or oh, you'd say, Boy, is He ever. God has been so good, and God has done so much for me, and He is leading me in this way. I just know He is with me. But I wonder if after this event, if you were to come to the people in Israel after verse 22 and ask them the same question, I wonder what read the verse again. So Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea and they went out into the wilderness of shore and they went three days in the wilderness and watch and found no water. Three days without any water. Down in the old arid dry 
dismal desert of shore. Here they are out in the wilderness. And now let's ask them in our interview, Sir, would you say God is with you? Would you say God is directing your path? And I imagine a furrow would be seen on his brow and he'd say something like, Well, I'm not really sure. I don't really know. You know, we're going through bad times now. And boy, these are times that try men's souls. I don't really know if I could say God is with us or not. But hey, wait a minute. If the Word of God be true, God was as much with them in the wilderness of shore as He was when He gave them that miraculous crossing of the Red Sea. God is with them. And the psalmist again could say, the steps of a good man are ordered of the Lord. Now, here's what I'm wanting to impress you with. God does not always lead us upon the sunlit mountain peaks where the air is fresh. There is no pollution. All the greenery and the flowers are around. The birds are singing. Oh, He does lead us there. But He does not always lead us there. Ah, He sometimes leads us down into the valley of misery and and into the valley of the dry uh, desert of life. And that is yet God who is leading us every step of the way if we believe the Word of God. So don't become discouraged when there are times that, well, you're not always up. I get kind of irritated some of this television crowd. Uh, I had a woman call me and talk to me 45 minutes, long distance. She is paying the phone bill or I'd have hung up, I guess. But anyway, uh, she called and told me for 45 minutes. And you know what it's all about from where we're in South Carolina? She said, I'm disturbed about my Christian life. I said, what's wrong? She said, well, I was watching PTL on television. Pardon me. But uh, she said, uh, I just don't seem to have that glow they do. Well, I said, you don't have the lights nor the makeup they do either, sister. If you had a camera on you and a makeup crew and a bunch of lights and a bunch of cameramen that knew the right angle to take and the right side, you know how you do when you go to the photographer? You know, not this side, sir, this one. This is the best side. Take that one. Uh, and so uh, I said, listen, yet she was so so disturbed because she didn't have to see me. All, have all of this high up uh, emotional kind of experience in her life 24 hours a day. I want to tell you something. If a fellow lived on the mountaintop all of his life, he wouldn't be worth a powder that would take the boy's brains out. The thing that really develops a man is not the victories up on the mountain, but it's that rough going down in the valley. By the way, God leads us into the valley often that He may teach us some most valuable lessons in life. Now, why does He do that? Why don't we decide, why don't, why don't we like something? Peter? the Lord just let's stay up here. We'll pitch our tent up here in this mountain, and we'll just stay up here. Boy, this is wonderful. The Lord said, listen, I can't teach you what you need to know up here. My boy, I mentioned that was a football player, and their team, his senior uh, as quarterback, just had a winning team. Boy, I mean, they're just stomping all over everybody. And uh, I, one, I, after every game, uh, when I was around and he'd come back in, 
I'd, uh, may, that I'd gotten to see. I'd uh, watch him and I'd play a little football in my earlier days. And, and uh, I thought, well, I'll just give him a good hit or two. I saw him do something tonight that I know he's going to get it right in the jaw. Sure as he lives and plays that game, he's heading for trouble. And I think I'm going to set him down and give him a few pointers. He'd come in, you know, strutting that stuff and after a big victory and, and all the his head of swimming. And I'd say, hey, son, come over here. What do you want, Dad? I'd say, uh, hey, I'd like to give you a few pointers about your game. Dad, I'm so tired. I'll tell you the truth. I, we just had such a game tonight. And he said, I, I'd like to talk to you. And I know you can help, but I, I just, I don't believe it. I can't right now. Uh, some other time. And I'd say, okay. But long toward the end of the season, they met a team that, boy, I mean, you talk about was on fire. They just walked over them like there's, like, like there's, uh, well, like there's rainwater. And uh, that night, I happened to be home. And when he came through the door, I knew what had happened. His lip was about that long. Looked like he'd been hung up to dry on a clothesline with his lip. It has pooched out there and his feathers all down. You ever seen no wet hen? Boy, he came just dragging in. And I said, son, come over here and sit down. I'd like to give you a few pointers about the game. You know what he did? Man, he just came over and said, tell me anything you know. <laughs> now listen, I didn't have a bit of trouble talking to him. By the same token, I've had young couples to come to me, and boy, they're just head over heels in love. They can't think about anything but him or her and about their life that's going to be together. And you sit them down and try to guilt, drill some sense in their head, you might as well be talking about wall. You can't teach them anything. Why? They're way up down on the mountain. But you let them get down in the valley and there's no trouble to talk to and to give some instruction. So the Lord not only leads us up there that we might experience victory. And oh, thank God for those mountaintops. Isn't it wonderful? Isn't it good of God that He just let us get up there once in a while and it just makes you want to go back after you've been in the valley so long and the Lord will let you back up there. But ah, oh, the lessons in life are learned and the muscles in life are built and character is built and developed down in the valley of testing. Now, the Lord led Israel into this position. I want you to look in Deuteronomy chapter 8. Just look at this. Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse number 2, and the Word of God says this. Have you found it? Deuteronomy 8, verse number 2, and the verse says this. And thou shalt, talk of Israel, and thou shalt remember all the way. Hey, it wasn't just the Red Sea, was it? It wasn't just those high peaks, but all the way which the Lord thy God led thee. How many years? These 40 years in the wilderness. Why did God lead them down there in that wilderness? He'll tell you why. Number one, to humble thee. To bring you to a place of submission and utter dependence upon me. As long as fellows got the money in the bank, pay all the bills, as long as he knows all the answers to his problems, listen, he'll, he'll become, if he's not very careful, self-sufficient. He'll get to the place where he thinks, I don't even need God. I don't need to listen to Him. I'm not going to surrender and do what He says. I'm not going to obey the Word of God. But you let some tragedy strike, and brother, you'll find that fellow being humbled down in his own heart. 
You ever gone through the trial of sickness? Have you not as a Christian after that sickness is over sensed a closeness to the God that you even never had before in your life and a greater dependence upon Him? Especially if the doctors have said, listen, we don't have the answer. You go about depending on God. You don't have any trouble there. Now, through all of this, the Lord, even in our life, is trying to develop in us and endeavoring and attempting to develop in us the likeness of Christ. The greatest characteristic of our Lord while upon this earth was the trait of humility. Humility is the opposite of pride. And let me explain them to you like this. Pride says, not thy will be done, O God, but my will. Whereas humility says, not my will, O oh God, but your will be done. So the Lord brought them into this test that they might humble them, and not only that, but read on, and to prove thee, that is, to put you to the test. You know when I want to fly an airplane? When it's been tested. I don't want to get in anybody's aircraft hadn't been tested. In fact, I don't want to take anybody's medicine. I don't care what doctor prescribes it if it hadn't been tested. The whole story is the Lord is going to put you and me as his child to the test in life sooner or later. Now why does he do that again? Not only to humble thee and to put you to the test, but what? To know what was in thine heart. Now surely God knew what was in their heart, didn't he? But I think the idea here is simply this. God wanted them to know what is in it. The Lord through testing often brings out the real you and the real me. Watch this. When all the bills are being paid, everybody's well in the family, nobody hates us, everybody likes us, and like that famous song says, Oh, what a beautiful morning. Oh, what a beautiful day. Uh, oh, what a wonderful feeling. Everything going my way. Now, does anybody act like a Christian then, Huh? Well, it, even the devil can act like a Christian man. But you want to know when reality shows itself? When the thumb of adversity and the pressure of testing gets on your life. Do you know when the true fragrance of the petal of a rose is, is, is most evident? When it's crushed. And when God puts you in the crucible or in the testing place in life, I'll guarantee you the real you and what's on the inside is going to really come out. So the Lord said, I want you to know what's in your heart, to know what is in thine, own, thine heart, whether, here it is, whether thou wouldst keep his commandments or no. The devil said to the Lord, consider your servant Job. Do you know the reason he's serving you? Why, who wouldn't serve? Look at all those cattle he's got. Wealthiest man in the park, in the country. Look at all those fine sons and daughters of his. Look there. Look at everything this fellow's got. And not only that, but God, you've got a you've got a hedge about that fellow. Nobody can get to him. You just you're surrounding him. Who wouldn't serve you if he had everything like that? If he was the richest fellow in town and had influence and property and possession, who wouldn't? He said, I'll tell you what you do. If you'll take that hedge down and let me to put my hand on him, I'll show you what's in him. You'll find out he won't serve you. And the Lord gave him permission. 
And the Bible reveals how old Job was afflicted and the misery and the torment that he went through. And yet we can hear old Job crying out of all that misery, Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Would you serve God if somebody came and said all of a sudden all your children are killed in the storm? Would you say, Lord, I'm still going to serve you even if your wife left you and turned on you and cussed you and said, man, you're nothing but a low-down hypocrite. Why don't you get out of church and forget God and all that? I wonder how you'd react to that. I wonder how I'd react to that. All right, what I'm trying to say is uh, the testing time is going to come and God put old Job to the test, but Job, the real fella, oh yes, through that crucible, so much of the hypocrisy of life and so much of that that is unreal and ungodly in his life was brought to the surface. But Job came out on the other side a man better than he was ever before. So what I want you to see is God's going to put you to the test one way or another. And in it, he's going to show you what's in your heart. Whether or not you'll serve God. I heard a fellow say one time, I used to go to church and serve God. But you know what happened, preacher? No, sir. One day God took our little angel from us, our little baby. And when God took our little baby from me, I sired on God in the church. I don't go to church anymore. I don't worship God. Listen, you know what happened? The truth is really revealed about that fellow's genuine re realness of his Christian profession. The whole story is, so many times when those things come, listen, man, uh, what a fellow's really made out of. That's, that's when it's revealed. When the test and the pressure comes on. So the Lord said He brought them through all of this and it was God who led them all the way and for a real reason, to humble them, to prove them, put them to the test, to show what is in their heart, to see whether or not they would keep His commandments. All right, now what's this. I call verse 22 and verse 23 back to Exodus 15. Verse 22 and 23 is the action. Here's what's taking place. This is the action. Young folks say today, tell me where the action is. All right, here's the action. They were down in the wilderness, the desert country. And when they came to Marah, they could not drink of the waters of Marah, for they were bitter, so they named it Marah. Now, here they are three days out in the water. What would you imagine they is wanting more than anything else? Water. Well, I'd be wanting, wouldn't you? I couldn't go, I can't go three hours without it myself. I like water. I drive through the mountains. If I see a spout of water coming out of the mountainside, man, I'll stop and fill up my jug. And it ain't a little brown one either. But I like that, I like water. But here these fellas been without three days, and I can imagine they're dreaming about water. I imagine all they could think about was water. Their eyes would play tricks on them out in that old hot desert. And uh, they could see those mirages. And, and all they were dreaming and thinking and living for water. Now all of a sudden, there appears an oasis. It is not a mirage. It's not an illusion. It is real. You know what they're going to do? They're running as hard as they can toward that oasis. They are now saying, oh, look. Here's what we've been looking for. And we're going to find satisfaction. We're going to find exactly what we've been longing for for these three days. And they run, many of them falling down on their stomachs and beginning to lap up the water. But when they take one swallow, it's bitter. It's like gall. They cannot take it. Now watch what happens. 
It didn't come up to their expectation. What they had seen that promised to give them the satisfaction they longed for, it proved not to satisfy them at all. It was something that they couldn't even take. They could not endure it. So they spit it out. They rejected it. How many times that same action is replayed in our lives in many areas of our life. For example, here's a man who has been strong and healthy. He's been able to do anything he's ever wanted to do physically. But one day, he comes down with a heart attack. Maybe his back gives him severe problems. Maybe some other physical infirmity slows him down and denies him that, that, he's, that he's delighted in for so long and that, that he's always wanted in his life and that's to do anything he wants to. No restriction, nothing to him. That's a bitter pill for a fellow to swallow. That's a rough experience. Again, that is a, 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 a bitter kind of action that takes place. For example, another, another thing that can be very bitter as far as the actions in life, and that is often a financial reverses. Just a fellow who's had plenty of money in his life, not plenty, I guess, in his estimation, but he's been able to live comfortably. But all of a sudden, financial reverses come. He's not, able to, he's not able to provide for the family. He's not able to live as once he had lived on that financial plateau. That's a bitter pill to swallow. Maybe he loses his house. Maybe he loses his farm. I've talked to a lot of fellows in the past couple of years who have been big-time farmers, brother. I mean, just one out from under them like that. That's a pretty tough pill to swallow. And not only that, but I've talked to others who've come upon the bitter springs in life of, of, of family relationships. Those relationships have not been what they've expected. Here's a man and woman who marry, and they're expecting something in one or the other that just it, it's just not there. And it's a very bitter thing. They have hoped that this would satisfy and that would satisfy. This would be really what I'm looking for in life. Uh, so family relationships, friendships have been dissolved by misunderstanding, by wrong words, by wrong actions. And that's a bitter thing for a fellow to go through. Not only that, but I think of the death of loved ones. My pastor, who is a dear friend of mine, he and his dear wife lost one of their sons in the Vietnam War. It is a very bitter pill to swallow, a very bitter experience, a hard experience in life. And I think you can understand that. And yet there's so many things that we come to in life, pure expectations for the family, expectations in our material realm of life, financial realm, expectations in our family, expectations in our friends. And sometimes those things can turn bitter. And they just do not satisfy. They do not come up to our own dreams and our own expectations. Now, when Israel came to the waters of Marah, they could not drink of them. They couldn't swallow them because they were bitter. Now, that's bad enough in itself, wouldn't you think? But don't you read the next verse. The action is in verse 22 and 3, but verse 24 is the reaction. And the Bible said, And the people murmured against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? Now look at this word murmur. You can, you can just sense bitterness all over occasion. It's bad enough to have a bitter and a bad experience. But it's worse when you become bitter yourself 
as a result of that experience. It is bad enough that they come to the water and it's not drinkable and, and they cannot take it. They spit it out of their mouth. But it's even worse when they themselves turn in murmuring and complaining and griping and resentment and bitterness toward God. You say they complaining to Moses, weren't they? Yes. But they complaining to God for Moses was God's leader. You see, when the Lord led them down, when the Bible said Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea in the wilderness, that was God who led them. You remember, He did it by a pillar of fire by night. He did it by a pillar of cloud by day. The Lord, where the, where the cloud moved, the Lord said, this direction to go, this direction to go, this direction to go. Moses said, take up your tent, pack up your goods, let's go. Following God. And God has led them to this experience. So Israel now reacts in a very bitter way. Instead of being made better, they were made bitter as a result of the experience. Now what determines that? What determines my being made a better Christian or a bitter Christian when those experiences come in my life? One thing makes the difference. The difference between the two words is the little letter I. Bitter and better. The difference is I. And I make the difference in my life dependent on how I react to what's happened in my life. Now here's a fellow, for example, who's had good health and his health has failed him. He can either be made a better Christian or a bitter Christian. And I've met both kinds. I've met men and women who have gone through life. They, boy, I mean, they're active in the Lord's work. And then all of a sudden they're stricken with some illness or infirmity. And instead of being a better Christian and mellow and, and sweet and gentle in their lives, they have become bitter and they murmur and they complain. Why, God, did you do this to me? I went into a fellow's room down in the state of Mississippi once with a pastor. He had told me about this fine Christian man who had been so active in the church. And now he said... He has cancer and he's dying. The doctors already told his family there's nothing they can do with it. It's just a matter of time and he's gone. And, they, and he said, listen, they've let the fellow know too. He knows it. He knows he's dying. And I started walking down the corridors. The preacher told me that. And I've begun to dread going to that fellow's room. I could imagine, I could imagine what he is going through and how he may be. I, I, I turned to walk in the room and was expecting literally to find a fellow who was angry, who was resentful, who was bitter. But when I walked in, I found one of the most radiant Christians I'd ever met in my life. And here's what he told me. He said, preacher, the knowledge that I have cancer and that I only have a little while to live has made a better man out of me. He said, I sense a closeness to God now that I've never known in my life. And he said, I want to tell you something else. He said, I have literally led more people to Jesus Christ and, and introduced them to the Savior right here in this room since I've been a patient here than I ever did it in all of the rest of my life. Now here was a fellow who did not react in a bitter resentment with bitterness in his heart, but he saw God's hand in it and he said, God, you be glorified. I just want to be made more like you. It takes this, Lord, let it be. But I've met others who have that old bitter, harsh, ugly spirit. Why did you do this, God? Why did you let me lose my health? Why did I lose that money? Why did I lose this? I met a fellow down here in South Georgia just last year. 
had a fine meal with him, he and his family. At the time I ate with him, he owned but 40 acres of land and a house. Before last year, he had owned over 3,000 acres of property. Had, had a herd of cattle, brother, that are second to none. He said just before the before I lost this farm, he said, a man came to me and said, I'll give you a flat $3 million for your farm if you'll sell it to me now. And he said, preacher, I've thought a hundred times that I wish I'd have sold it. But he said, instead of that, I've just lost it. He said, it's gone. I have 40 acres to my name and that's it in this house. And a pile of debts, I don't know how I'll pay. But he said, thanks be unto God, I've been closer to God and walked more of the Savior in this period than I've ever walked in my life. Now that fellow could have grown bitter. And as every night in that revival meeting, he is right there, front row. Every time he'd get a chance, but he'd holler, amen, amen. Now listen, what I'm trying to tell you is this. The reaction to what happens in a man's life will make the difference in him. Either he's going to be made a better man or a bitter man. Family relations. I have met good Christian men and women whose companion has left them. They've gone through the trauma of divorce. Their lives have been wrecked and left in shambles. I've met some who were so filled with bitter resentment and anger and hatred of that that had happened and those who were involved in it. Listen, that they couldn't amount to a hill of beans for God as far as serving Him and giving a real testimony for Jesus Christ. But I've met others who having come through all of that tragedy have said, I don't understand it, but my life is in the hands of God. And whatever he can do through my life, let it be. What a difference. Do you see what I'm saying? All right, so the Bible talks about the reaction. I've got to move on now. Watch this carefully. That's the reaction. Be careful about it. I mentioned my pastor and his wife and the death of their son. And uh, I spoke on this subject once in a church they pastored in another state. And, and, and the dear pastor wife, first woman down the aisle. Weeping her heart out. And I knelt beside her and said, What's your problem? What, what seemed to be burdening you so? And, Oh, she said, God has so spoken to me about this bitter resentment in my heart toward God for taking my son. And she said, God's broken my heart and I'm not bitter about it anymore. I've confessed it to Him and I'm just saying, Lord, Your will, that's all I can say. And from that day on, listen, she grew to one of the most radiant, beautiful Christians you'll ever meet. So what I want you to understand is, bitter or better, that will be the result, depending on how you react. I've met some people, too, who've grown bitter because of what somebody said about them. They grow bitter, harsh, resentful, angry, hostile. Their hearts are full of malice. They're wanting to even the score. Listen, that kind of a person's headed for trouble. You're headed for trouble, number one, spiritually. You're headed for trouble emotionally. You're headed for trouble mentally, and you're headed for trouble physically. For bitter resentment is a damaging emotion to the human personality. And its effect can be found even in a man or a woman's physical body. Bitter resentment. Let me show you what I mean. I had a meal once in Indianapolis, Indiana with a very eminent heart specialist at that time by the name of Dr. Emmett C. Brown. Dr. Brown was one of the finest Christian men I've met anywhere. 
we sat at lunch one day and he, we got talking about his, his work and so forth. And he said, Preacher, I try to witness to everybody, that I, every patient I have, try to share with them the gospel. And I knew the woman who had literally led Dr. Brown to Christ. Her name was Brown as well, though no relation. And she had led Dr. Brown to Christ in a phone conversation. She was, a, she was a patient at the time before Dr. Brown was saved. And she got talking to him, and he got down his knees. That's the Lord saved. But anyway, I, I was sitting there, and we got talking about the problems that he can, it, it finds in people with heart condition. Now, please don't think when I tell you this, nor was he saying that everybody's got a heart problem. This is what's wrong with them. That's not what he said. But he said, Preacher, I asked my heart patients two questions. Number one, whom do you hate? Number two, what are you afraid of? For he said, hatred and fear are two of the most devastating emotions to the human personality, but also to the human heart. He said, hatred will make your heart pound and beat and beat and beat. And he said, the human heart can't stand that. So he said, not only am I trying to help people who have uh, congenital heart disease and uh, inherited conditional heart, but he said, many a man and woman bring so much on themselves. Hey, you see, the Lord said, listen, Moses, if you'll submit to my commandments and do what I say, submit to me, I'll bring none of these diseases upon you, which I brought upon the Egyptians. So, I've jumped a little far ahead, but I, 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 anyway, let me, let me get back where I am. Where are my glasses? All right, uh, I'm in bad shape. I'm getting old, I'm getting bald, blind, and got bunions, and getting some bugs. All right, what? So, uh, uh, what did I say in anyhow? Uh, all right, uh, uh, we're talking about, we're talking about the, the, the result of bitterness. So, this thing of bitterness on the inside, uh, the reaction, destructive in its very emotion. Well, the people murmured. They complained. Paul wrote in Ephesians, you remember this? And he said in chapter 4 of Ephesians, verse 30, uh, verse 30, uh, 30 through verse 32, and he said, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking, listen, with all malice, that is with a desire to get even, a desire to hurt, a desire to inflict injury upon those who hurt you. Let all of that pass. And then he said, And be ye kind, tender hearted. Worst shape, emotion, spiritually, any fellow I've talked to in a long time. So we had a long counseling session during the week, just sitting talking. And finally one day I said something like this to him. I said, tell me this. How do you feel about your father? He said, what do you mean how I feel about my father? And I could tell, boy, I'd hit a nerve. He said, I said, now listen, I'm, I'm not picking you. I just want you to, I want you to. Tell me something. Just tell me the truth. How do you really feel about your father? He sat there in silence for a moment. And then he looked at me and he said, I hate him. I said, how long have you known that? He said, since I was a boy. He said, my dad was a drunkard. And he said he'd come home, beat up on my mom. And said he'd abuse us children. And he said, I've hated him ever since. There have been times in my life when I've thought up schemes how I could kill him. And I said, I want to ask you something. Do you believe that emotion is right for a fellow who's a child of God? He said, maybe it's not right, but he said, I'm going to tell you the truth. It's been there. I said, I want to ask you this question. 
Would you be willing right now to forgive your father for whatever he did to you, whatever he did to your mother? Are you willing to just say, I forgive him? And if he's still living, which he wasn't, would you go to him and just say, Dad, I forgive you. I've held all of this ugly resentment and hatred in my heart for you. Forgive me. He sat there and looked at me and then like a gushing fountain, tears began to just stream down his face. And he said, Preacher, that's been my trouble all of my life. I have been unwilling to forgive my father for what he's done to me and what he did to my mother and our family. Now do you see who that fellow's hurting? He wasn't hurting his dad. But he's killing him. And he is defeating his own life. Now listen, I don't care what anybody said to you. I don't care how badly they hurt you. I don't care how much they misrepresented you. I don't care how much they misunderstood you. I want you to understand something. When you carry an old bitter grudge and unforgiveness in your heart against somebody else, you're not hurting that fella in any degree the way you're hurting and destroying your own life. You're the one that's getting the ulcer and not able to sleep at night and walk in the floor and getting the heebie-jeebies. That fellow's not bothered. But you're the one that's hurting. And you're the one who's damaging his life. Oh, my friend, the Bible said, get rid of that bitterness. Get it out. Now, sometimes we are bitter and we don't even realize it at the moment. You ever seen a very harsh kind of person? Their mannerism is harsh. They're on edge all the time. Man, they'll argue with you as quick as they'll argue with a billy goat. They, I mean, they're just on edge. It, everything upsets them. Uh, I see them at the air turn. What a while! What's wrong with this alley? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, you know, the poor little fellow behind the desk could get the airplane on the, in the air. And it's all upset. Hang on about this. Anything happening. Yeah, yeah. And they argue. Just terrible bitterness in their life. I often, when I hear that kind of thing going, and you, you know I hear them too in the driving down the road sometimes. Stop at a traffic light, and the thing just has time to turn from orange to green. <laughs> you know, there's a lot of ways to cuss. You don't have to cuss just with your mouth. There's horn cussing, there's door slamming cussing, foot stomping cussing. And it all shows an old, uh, an old anger on the inside. You take a fellow that's got resentment and bitterness in his heart and you get him in the congregation of the Lord's house and the first thing you know, he's going to be in conflict with somebody else. Somebody he don't even know. Somebody who didn't even mean a thing when they said with it. And he'll bite their head off and read their title clear. Or what am I talking about? It's that old hidden. Now, sometimes that bitterness is there and maybe we don't even realize. That's the reason Paul wrote in the letter to the Hebrews, chapter 12 and verse number 14 and 15. I want you to look at this and I'm going to close. I'm, I've got four minutes. All right, hang with me. Watch verse 14 and 15. And the Bible said, follow peace. You get that? Follow peace with all men. Be at peace with them. That don't mean that you agree with their theology or agree with what they've done, but there's a tranquility, there's a peace. If there's no bitterness there, no hatred, no animosity. Follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. And indeed, a man with bitterness and unholiness in his life, he'll never see him. His vision's clouded. Look at verse 15. Looking diligently, and that term means 
something like a superintendent. Superintend, looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. Now, you don't normally see a root. These old trees growing around here, but boy, you get a few rains like we had last night and a few days past, and you go out there, and you know what you'll see? you see some of those roots exposed. You know what exposed them? The storm. And many times a fellow has got old hidden bitterness down in his heart. He's covered up all these years. But you let a storm break in his life. You let pressure come. You let adversity come. You let him come upon some kind of bitter water like Mara. And I'll guarantee you, one of the old roots spring up. Now watch what happens. The Bible said, you watch carefully lest that old root of bitterness springs up. And what troubled you? And all of that but defiles me. You get a bit of fe bitter fella or a bitter woman in a congregation of the Lord's house, and not only are they hurting and poisoned, but they'll poison everybody they can corner. It's that anger that's inside. It's that bitterness. Maybe toward a fellow member, maybe toward a deacon, maybe toward a Sunday school teacher, maybe toward a pastor, maybe toward anybody else. But it's a bitter, troubling in the inside. And that trouble on the inside is going to come out and going to defile us, going to poison others. You see what I'm saying? Do you all understand me? Nod your head. huh? Do like that, do you? All right, good. Somebody look like you've been hitting the head of the two before. huh? All right, now watch me. I'm going to help you if I can. All right, so he said... The, uh, so, so the Bible said at verse 25 now, beginning at verse 25, reveals what Moses did. Now we've seen the action, the reaction. I'll show you this. Here's the knee action. The Bible said, and he cried unto the Lord. Isn't it sad that sometimes we don't pray until we really, boy, I mean, we up against it. So Moses up against it, he cried unto the Lord, but the Lord's good. And the Lord showed him a tree, which when he had cast into the waters, the waters were made sweet. There he made for them a statute and ordinance, and there he put them to the test. All right, uh, there are three things in that verse I want you to remember. When Moses got down to business with God, and he came before the Lord, cried out, that is, he began to pray, God gave him a revelation. I mean by that, he showed him something. Does that remind you of what the prophet Jeremiah said in Jeremiah 33, verse 3? Call unto me, and I will answer thee, and show thee great and mighty things. So the Lord showed Moses something. You know why? Because he'd gotten in the position, so his vision is clear. He could see. He got on to work and pray. Somebody wrote a song once said, I washed my eyes with tears. He washed my eyes with tears so I could see. And how Moses coming out crying before the Lord, and boy, is desperate, and the Lord shows him the answer to his problem. He revealed to him a tree. Now, that tree, indeed, is symbolic. It speaks to us of the cross of Christ. The old tree, cursed is, is everyone who is hung on the tree, and our Lord was on that cursed tree, the cross. I'll come back to that in just a second. So he gave him the revelation. That's the answer. But I want you to watch what happens now. When he showed him the tree, which, when he had cast into the waters, you got revelation, and now you've got appropriation. The Lord showed an answer, and Moses takes the answer. He appropriates. He applies it to the problem. Do you see that? All right, watch what happens following that appropriation. There occurs a transformation. 
the waters that were bitter now have become sweet. So you got three marvelous things. Got a revelation, appropriation, and a transformation. Now let's come back to the answer. That tree symbolizes and speaks to us of the cross. When we face those bitter things in life, we need to look to the cross where it's found the answer. Now, I do not mean the wooden structure, but I mean that 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 structure conveys to us. The death that our Lord died upon that cross. There's no power in the wooden cross or the silver cross or the gold cross. But that that he accomplished on the cross is what's in view here. Now, let me just say two words, and i got to close. The cross has a twofold message in this sense. Number one, it is a message of supply. In the cross of Christ and the death of Christ on the cross, there was provided for you and me all that we would ever need to face any trial, any adversity, any, any, any experience that we'd ever face in our life as a child of God. The supply of our strength, the grace that God has given to us manifests in that cross. So that's the reason Paul, uh, the, the writer in the Hebrews wrote over in the verse we just read and said, lest any man fail of the grace of God. Didn't say the grace of God had failed, but he said, lest any man fail of the grace of God. That is, you fail to draw from that supply. That, that God has provided for you in Christ. Everything that we'll need to face any trial. It's like Paul said in the Corinthian letter. There is no temptation, no testing taken you, but such is common to man. But God will with the test provide a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. In other words, he's saying God has supplied everything for you and there's no testing. I don't care what it is. Financial reverses, family problems, uh, failing health, death of loved ones misunderstanding among friends nothing has taken you but such is common and God has provided the grace and supplied that that you'll need to stand in that trial and I watch it the cross has another message and this is so important it's the message of submission the message of submission to the will of the Father Jesus was yonder in the garden and you remember he prayed this let this cup pass from me. But he said, Father, if not, nevertheless, thy will be done. Not mine, but thine. I surrender God to your plan. He was to become sin for us. He would be forsaken of the Father. And yet he willingly said, not my will, but yours. So, the plan may be ever so severe, and oh, how cruel was the death of the cross, and our holy, our holy Savior becoming unrighteous and sinful, and, full of, and covered with sin, my sin and yours. Oh, what a horrible thing. Yet He said, I submit your will. Now, whatever thing you face in life, as a Christian, remember this, God's directed your steps. And then in that testing, in that proving of your life, He's going to shape you and form you more to the likeness of His Son. And that the thing most needful in your life is to say, Lord, I may not can explain what's happening to me or the outcome of it, but I surrender to whatever's taking place. And whatever you want to do through this experience, do it in my life.
Now I want you to watch this. After the bitterness problem was settled for Israel, carefully notice this. They picked up their tents and began to move on. Many a man is bogged down and unable to launch out any further for God because of an old bitter heart. The Lord not going to let you go out and poison everybody. He knows that unless that's done, you'll defile hundreds and thousands. So, he lets them stay there until the bitterness problem settled. After it is settled, they went on to Elam. Get this, where were 12 wells of water. You remember there were but 12 twi tribes in Israel. And the Lord dug a well in every one of them's backyard. Hey, they didn't have the water. And then when the sour water is bitter, but now that old bitter water has become sweet. Why? Because they've submitted. They have said, Lord, I surrender to this. I yield to whatever you're doing in my life. I, don't, I, I just say, your will be done, O God. And the Lord moved them out to eat them. Twelve wells of water. And watch this. Three score and ten palm trees. Seventy palm trees. Do you know how many of the Lord sent out? Was it not seventy? I think again I can see in the number of the Lord, and this may be stretching, but I believe the Lord seemed to be saying, hey, I can't send a lot of you out because you haven't got your bitterness problem set. There's resentment, unforgiveness, harshness in your heart toward what somebody said, what somebody did, what they did not do, neglected to do. Bitterness in your heart. And they encamped there, the scripture verse says, by the waters. You know what that spells to me? That spells peace. Tranquility. Relaxed inside. A man or woman who's bitter and angry about what has happened or who has done this in their life, but you don't have any rest. You're tied up inside. Every time that fellow's name's mentioned, boy, you just gnaw up. Every time that place is mentioned, it's not up. Every time that event is mentioned, it's not up on the inside. There's no rest. But you just, you submit to what God's let come in your life, brother. And I want to tell you right now, you can have some peace. You can even meet your enemies and still have peace. Down the yard. David said, I prepare some table before me. In the presence of my enemies. David said, man, I'm alive. I'm eating my enemies staring down my throat. He had peace. <laughs> Calm down in the inside. And many a man is destroying his life without rest. In camp with the waters, I like to go up in the mountains, and I do this when I can. I just drive up beside an old trout stream, hear that rippling, running water, get in the back end of my truck, and stretch out. I remember coming back from Kentucky not long ago, and my wife and family had to go off for the weekend. I closed on Friday and came back on Saturday. And when I, I got in, I remember they were gone, and I thought, well, I'm not going home to that empty house. I just pulled up on old Boggs Creek. Got as close from here to that bench from the creek. Crawled in the back of that thing, 6 o'clock in the evening. I woke, went to sleep and woke up at 6 o'clock the next morning. Calm and rested. Listen. Ah, oh, I believe it's what the Lord's saying. You can have that kind of peace down inside when you get rid of the bitterness. God help us. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you so much for your blessed word. Oh, that we had the ability to make it clear that we somehow knew how to convey to these folks in this audience tonight the marvelous, miraculous truth of this passage. Lord, many are bogged out in their lives and cannot be used of God because of some anger, maybe some resentment of failure to have a certain position. 
maybe a bitterness because of failure to be recognized by others whom they think they should be recognized by. Lord, maybe some are bitter because they feel neglected, taken for granted. Maybe some are bitter, Lord, because of these experiences we've mentioned. But Lord, oh, help us just get rid of that. May we just, Lord, say, we don't know, even if we don't know what's happening, Lord, Lord, help us just give us the grace to say, Your will, Your will, I surrender to it. Lord, You're directing my life. You've led me on the tops. I've been way up there, but Lord, now in the valley, I surrender to You. Have Your will and way with us. We'll thank You in Jesus' precious name. Amen.